Hi, my name is Mandy Jackson Beverly, and I'm a bibliophile. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Bookshop Podcast, where I interview booksellers and independent bookshop owners from around the world. To help the show reach more people, please share with friends and family and on social media. And remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. You're listening to episode 116. In October of 2016, Melissa Music and Stephanie Cannon created The Story Shop, an independent children's bookstore in Monroe, Georgia. The bookshop is a place where reading, imagination, and celebration are experienced and appreciated daily. The Story Shop is co-managed by Creative Director Lisa Dibble and Lauren Brown, Director of Operations. Hi, Lauren and Lisa, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's lovely to have you both here. Now, let's begin with why Melissa and Stephanie opened the Story Shop and why a children's bookshop. I'll let Lauren start. Yeah, I'll take it since I've been there since the beginning. So Melissa is actually the owner and Stephanie is the designer. And so Melissa had this vision. She has four children and homeschooled them all and was homeschooling them at the time when we opened. And so she really saw how oftentimes school kind of stomps out the love of reading because it's something you have to do, or, you know, you have to answer all these detailed and weird questions about the book that really kind of put you off the joy and the imagination of it. And so that was kind of her impetus of she really wanted to create a place where kids just got to step into the world of joy and imagination of reading and kind of where stories were brought to life. And so they were reminded of, oh, reading is fun and exciting and I want to do it. And so that was kind of her vision behind that. Oh, I love that. Lisa and I were chatting earlier and I was telling her that I also homeschooled my children for, I don't know, about five or six years. Of course, they're uh, grown men now. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was a lot of fun and a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. It was a lot of work. <laughs> I lost count how many times I walked into classrooms of maybe, you know, elementary school children where they may be in third or fourth grade. And that light in their eyes, that love of learning has faded. It's just heartbreaking to me. And I often wonder if that comes from forced learning. Yeah. It's difficult for teachers when they have 25 or 30 or 40 kids in a class Every child has a different way of learning. I tell my kids that if you can learn to read and learn to read well, then there's just nothing, nothing that you can't not do because or nothing you can't learn. So, you know, if you have an interest in science, pick up a science book, or if you have an interest in, you know, anything else or whatever, as long as you can read and read well, then they can, there's nothing, nothing that they can't go into, which is really, really fun. Yes, absolutely. I remember telling my kids when they were little, learning to read is the key that opens the door to another universe. Now, I'd love to know more about the bookshop because the design is whimsical and fresh, perfect for a child's imagination. Is this Stephanie's work? Yes. So Stephanie Cannon, she is a professional designer. She um, is based here in Monroe, Georgia, and we are one of the many places that she's designed. And absolutely everything in our shop is some sort of um, literary reference. So we have, you know, a little spider web in the corner. That's Charlotte's Web. We have a Sherlock Holmes store. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But she's just amazing because she's created other spaces for a hair salon and a um, co-work place that we've got here. She does something different for everybody. So she's just got, she's just got it. I mean, she's just so good. So 
what she did for us was just take Melissa's ideas because Melissa, she's admitted she's very good with the theory behind it, but she couldn't make it herself. So Stephanie did it for us. And, uh, you know, she did such a wonderful job. And tell me about the Narnia wardrobe. Yes, that was one of the things that Melissa knew that she wanted. She knew she wanted a Narnia wardrobe and she knew she wanted a hobbit hole. And then Stephanie kind of just had free reign for the rest of it. It's still one of my favorite things when people come into the shop for the first time. It's like, have you opened up the wardrobe? And they're like, what? (laughs) It's not just a piece of furniture on the wall. Yeah, it looks fabulous. When I saw it, I was thinking, oh, what kid wouldn't want to walk through that wardrobe? Heck, I want to walk through the Narnia wardrobe. Yeah, a lot of people literally don't know. They just see it and they walk past it and they've never been in before. We're like, open that door. And they're like, open what? And they go to open up and we have actual fur coats hanging. So you actually have to walk through the fur coats into our story time room. And people are just in awe of, um, you know, her creativity. My favorite is when people just burst into tears. (laughs) Oh, see right there is the power of story. Yes. Just that beauty of this, the story. Yes. And to watch it come to life like that. That's what we try to make ourselves. We not just we don't want to just be a bookstore. We want to be a um, a destination somewhere where people from all across everywhere see us and they think I I have to go there. I have to see it. Especially people who are bookish and love um, everything that has to do with literary and books. I mean, we are just it's just nooks and crannies of everything that you know people have from their childhood memories and up to you know new reading and yeah. The bookshop looks like a very special place. And the events look like a lot of fun too. Are you currently holding any in-person events or are they still virtual? And tell us about your most successful event. Go for it since that's your realm. (laughs) Yeah. So I do all of the events and um, I design them and I run them. And um, we do do in-person events. We are in a small town here in Monroe, Georgia. So although we did go through our own COVID stuff, I think larger cities went through it a little harder than we did. So um, we were more quickly were able to open up and kind of get our things going again. But um, our most successful one that we just did was actually Harry Potter. And um, we did it with working with another um, event space nearby, because although we have an event space, it wasn't as large. We had over 100 people and everyone dressed up. We had an open bar with um, cocktails based on all the houses and um, a menu working with another business. We like to do that a lot where um, we do really large events. We like to work with other small businesses. So it was amazing. So that's one of the things that we've done but we always try to do one or two big events a year. We just take something literary and we make it amazing. Yeah. And as that particular event had a bar, I'm guessing that was adults only? It was a a Harry Potter for adults. You had to be 21 or up. And yeah, we've done a Harry Potter event every single year since we've been open. And we change it up every year. Like two years ago, we did um, a Harry Potter. uh, What was it, Lauren? Um, Was it a drop-in? It was just like for the like, 11 to something. We change it every year. So it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. We had a Harry Potter trivia night and it was family. So families brought blankets and we did s'mores and we had just everybody on the floor. We did a massive trivia night. So every year we tried to do something different. Last year, we went really, really big because people were hankering to get out and um, the desire for it was there. So yeah, it was really fun. So it sounds like the Harry Potter events are your most successful. I think that one is because it expands the ages. I mean, my goodness, but there's kids reading it now that are seven, eight years old up into, you know, um, I think it was came out when about me and Lauren were in middle school, I think. So it's just every, we can do it for any sort of age. It is one of our most popular. We've done other smaller events like for Ferdinand and um, Fancy Nancy and a few other ones. And we got a big crowd for it, but I don't think anything as large as we ever get for Harry Potter. 
Yeah, Harry Potter is kind of the story that reaches across the ages. It's great. And within the bookshop, you have a space where children can have birthday parties and celebrations. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, yes, we were really lucky to get um, this really wonderful space right on the Broad Street downtown. And so we were able to have both this wonderful retail space and also have this space where people can hold smaller events. So we do birthday parties, baby showers, bridal luncheons, um, a whole host of things like that. How we've done events has kind of changed uh, over the years and kind of how Lisa has developed them. Uh, in the beginning, it was just, hey, we have this room, rent it out, do what you want. <laughs> and that was chaos. Yeah. And that's where I came in. Yeah. Because I was just cleaning the tables. So there was two themes to begin with. We had Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan, which Stephanie designed those. And I was just hired for Saturdays to literally wipe the tables and sweep the floors between our three parties. And since then, um, we started developing it and we made it into facilitated events. So actually, we have two, um, four celebration facilitators is what we call them. And um, two work every single Saturday and they run the birthday parties for children. We have games and such. They run them through everything. They serve all the food. They cut the cake. They um, do a story time in the wardrobe. And it's a whole facilitated hour and a half that they get. And then baby and bridals, we usually do on Sunday. But we are very blessed to have that space because it really works for us, not only as having a little, little extra income, but also as another space where we can make our own stuff happen. And once again, it's all about story. I love that. It's another element of bringing stories to life and, and celebrating the joy of reading. Yeah. Yeah, we try to make everything we do, nothing to be arbitrary. We want everything to come back to the love of reading and come back to um, literature and just anything that can really, really give a path to a child towards a book. So, you know, we don't feel so bad about selling stuff when we're like, we're selling literature, we're selling books. Like, can't feel bad about that. <laughs> so let's talk about books, specifically your favorites, the books you'd recommend to new parents, your early readers, and then your YA books standout books that you just know you can't go wrong with? Sure. Um, so my favorite go-to for uh, picture books is Tiny T-Rex and the Impossible Hug. It is just so wonderful. It's this little tiny T-Rex and his his friend Pointy, which is adorable, is just sad. And so Tiny's like, well, I need to cheer my friend up. How do you cheer a friend up? You give them a hug. But of course he has tiny little arms, so he has to practice. And it's just such the sweet story of, I'm recognizing that my friend is sad, how can I help him? And I'm going to do all I can. And so it's just super adorable. Um, middle grade, uh, my favorite is um, Song for a Whale. And uh, it's this following this girl, Iris, who's deaf. And um, her journey of uh, just what her life is like. But also she discovers this whale who can't communicate with other whales. And so it's her job. Like, I will communicate with this whale. And so it's just such this beautiful picture of getting this kind of lesser seen perspective of uh, deaf culture, um, which I grew up adjacent to. And so it's really great to see that put on the page. Favorite YA current, it's so hard, is Skin to the Sea, that Little Mermaid retelling by Natasha Bowman. Oh my goodness. It's just phenomenal of um, taking the classic Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid tale but then putting this West African twist on it. It's just phenomenal. Mm, that sounds intriguing. I might have to read that one. And I'll make sure to put a list of all the books we mentioned today in the show notes, linking back to the story shop. Awesome. <laughs> what about you, Lisa? Do you have some favorites? Well, I am actually in love with anything by Emily Winfield Martin. And so one of her books is called Dream Animals. And it's just like there's her illustrations and her kind of whimsical verse. It works for if you're doing um, 
bedtime or just story time. Or, I mean, it's just so beautiful. It kind of takes you through all these like sort of mythical creatures and the beautiful whimsy. I love anything with whimsy. Also, Sarah O'Leary, um, she has got a, a bunch of little sets of books and she also has just the absolute best sort of like, I love verse, especially when things are just written that kind of like hit you. And hers just does. She just does the sweet little sweet verses. And for um, middle grade, one of my favorite series is by Brandon Mull. It's called Fable Haven. And it's a it's a long series and each book is pretty thick. And they're just crazy adventures with um, mythical creatures and adventure. And it's a, if I believe, if I remember correctly, it's a brother and a sister. And that's always so fun that there doesn't, they don't throw in love interests and stuff with middle grade, that it could just be like a hearty adventure between siblings. I just personally really love that. And then one of my favorites is um, within these lines for YA. I, I have a love of anything that is uh, World War II um, historical fiction. And this is a beautiful one where it is a Italian American girl that falls in love with a Japanese boy. It basically, we, you know, sometimes in World War II, we remember all the things that happened out of our country. We don't remember what was happening here. And, you know, he was put into a camp. And so it shows their struggle and their love. You know, also like there was discrimination between both sides. One didn't want their family, didn't want them marrying the other. And it's a really good book and it's a 100% chase love story. So honestly, if your child is mature enough to understand the complications with that, they could start reading that little, you know, late middle school, but it can go all the way up through adult. It's just such a beautiful story. It's easy to tell you two ladies have had a lot of experience selling children's books. <laughs> book selling is a talent and book selling to specific age groups is even more of a talent. So you've both got that. Now, let's talk about your surprise boxes and bookish gifts. Did they arise from the pandemic or did you offer these pre-March 2020? And were you quick to pivot to online sales? I happened to go on maternity leave like the day that everything shut down. It was fascinating. I'm totally stepping out and we're going to totally pivot completely. And so, yeah, the surprise boxes came out of, well, we can't hand sell because no one's coming in. So how can we show our love of books and with our experience of book selling and be able to bring that to people's doors. And so, yeah, the surprise boxes came out of that. I think the bookish gifts were more of, um, we just enjoy doing that stuff anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. And we, we've done a few little boxes before just for fun things, but they didn't go very well only because I think what is special about us is actually coming into the shop and everything, but the surprise boxes, what was so fun is people would buy them or email us and just go garbage trucks, pinatas, brooms. Now find books for my nine-year-old about that. <laughs> and it was so much fun for us to delve into our own knowledge of what we already had in our brains and then do some research. Like where are some broom books about brooms for five-year-olds or nine-year-olds? Like what can we find? And that was really fun. And people just raved after they got their, they did unboxings and stuff on Instagram to just show how exciting it was to get like customized books just for them or their child. You were like book fairies, I'm sure, to most of these parents and the children. <laughs> Social media has proved itself invaluable for independent business owners during the last couple of years. And I've heard so many fabulous stories about what bookshop owners have had to do just to survive and get books to their clients. It's just fabulous. Yeah. We get creative when someone wants a book and we want to give them that book. We'll get creative on how to make it happen. <laughs> yes. And the enthusiasm for reading since 
you know, the pandemic began, I think has just grown and grown and grown. Of course, that could just be me because I refuse to believe otherwise. I agree. I think after people binge watch Tiger King for the third time, they were like, uh, what else is there to do? And so I think people looked around them and um, libraries were also doing programs where they were doing pickup programs and stuff. So I think people were really looking around at what else is there? What else is there to do? And I think they noticed all those dusty books and started picking them up. Yeah. And once you find the perfect book for you, that's it. You're on a great journey. Yeah. (laughs) Now, you've given us some great recommendations for YA readers, but what books do you offer in regards to diverse and inclusive books, books that cover race and ethnicity, social justice, disabilities, LGBTQIA+, and immigration? Um, So that's actually uh, one of our kind of goals for the shop is how can we provide both windows and mirrors to as many people as we can? And so that's one of the things we kind of pride ourselves in is, is really taking um, a look at our stock and really curating it to be this beautiful example of not just, you know, our neighbor across the street, but our, our global neighbor of who is someone that you might run across? Where is some place that you could learn about? How can we view each other and see our beautiful stories kind of thing? If you want to add to that, Lisa. Yeah. One of the things we've had um, numerous um, diverse authors come into our shop and they were just like jaw to the floor about how it's not just a few books over here that they see themselves in. It's almost every book or every other book has, you can literally say, oh, I see, I see myself there and there and there and there. And so we really try to cultivate beauty in our books so that every person is able to find themselves. And also like Lauren said, which is important for us to get to know who their neighbor is and show them their world a little bit. That way, you know, we are, we don't want any of our people in echo chambers. We sort of want to open up conversations. And I think we do that with our books very well. And do either of you feel that there's a niche in publishing in specifically children's books that you feel needs strengthening? That's a good question. And I was thinking about that one. And this is me personally. And I don't know. One of the things I feel like kids are not learning. I, like I said, I do just have a very deep love of World War II and what happened. I just feel it was so, it was a global thing that happened and so dynamic in so many different ways. And, and, um, for me personally, I think adding more stuff, not, maybe not necessarily picture books, but having more things for younger readers to sort of understand what transpired and how that happened and how we need to be careful and be very, very loving towards each other so that this doesn't ever happen again. So because it wasn't that long ago that all these things happened. And and I feel like um, that's for me personally, I would like to see more things um, towards, you know, um, you know, maybe Jewish Heritage Month or, you know, Holocaust Remembrance Month, things a little bit more geared towards younger kids to be seen so that they can, you know, um, like I said, start to understand it. So then when they do work up to that place in their schooling, it's not a a new and sort of, oh my goodness. It's like, oh, wow. I remember that story I read about that little boy or that little girl. And yeah. Yeah. So they can gradually put all the links together toward the bigger story as they get older. That's a good idea. What about you, Lauren? So my answer kind of comes out of just where I am at this time in life. Um, And and Lisa can speak to this as well. So I just have a son and, uh, and she's got You've got three sons, right? Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so it's been really interesting um, because I know this isn't the broader look at publishing, but looking at us in our context, it's so much more difficult to find boy-led books now. 
And it's not something that you thought would be a problem, especially when looking at uh, when those charts come out of different characters and how they're represented. But in, I guess, in our little niche of of those kind of whimsical stories, it seems that more and more they're geared toward girls. And it's so much harder to find those books that I can hand off to my son and be like, you will love this. And especially when they get older, it's easier when they're younger. And it's just like, you're going to love this anyway. It's amazing. But when they're older, of it's harder to find those middle grade books, those YA books that represent them better, which is fascinating because that's not been the case. Yeah. One of the things is I think it was a beautiful shift that we made sure that girls were included in everything. And I have one daughter, so I'm all for girl girls. And, and we have beautiful stories. Like we've got so many stories of fearless stories for fearless girls and all that fun stuff. But I think in the shift, I think we might've pivoted a little too hard, which is only because we don't want to have boys be lost in the gambit when things are happening. We want them to be readers too. Um, a little easier in middle grade, but definitely harder in YA. There's not as many um, as there are girl books where there's a real strong boy character that's, you know, being kind and loving and charitable and helping the world. And so, and I think we boys need that. They need to see that. They need to see books where they're reflected in it, feeling caring and loving and, and responsible. I think we need to make sure that that's happening for our boys too. So yeah. And like Lauren said, it's, it's not that it's everywhere, but there's some little places that when you're trying, especially when we've, me and Lauren are big readers, my, my kids are big readers. So we, we go through a lot of books. And so it's not just like once a year, I need to find one boy centered book. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's why the book series are so important to children of that age. And you're right. I remember buying books for my sons and, you know, they'd read them by that afternoon and then we'd need more books. Mom, where's the next one in the series? Yeah. And it, it seems like more of the problem is one of our things is, is like raising readers. And so finding those books of, okay, like most kids can love most picture books but finding those books that will hook them and continue to be readers into adulthood. We find that most of our readers coming in are girls and it's easier for us to recommend books for them. Whereas the boys come in and, you know, they want, you know, dog man or something like that. And they love those and it's wonderful, but it's harder for us to find things in the next level to keep that love. Exactly. Keeping that continuity of reading from the first picture book through to adulthood. Yeah, it's bridging the gap, bridging the gap between like Wimpy Kid, Diary for Wimpy Kid, which again, we're not against, we sell, but b- between sort of that halfway graphic novel into, can you read the classic Robin Hood? Because that's one of my kids' favorites. And there is, there's not a, too much in between. And so, um, yeah, one of the things like whenever, especially I think it happens more with boys, boys will come in with their siblings and I'm like, hey, you want me to help you find a book? And they're like, oh, I'm not much of a reader. And I'm like, no, or I don't like reading. I said, no, it's not that you don't like reading. You have haven't found anything you're passionate about reading yet. And I believe that for everyone. I don't think anyone is not a reader or doesn't like reading. It's just that they haven't found what they love yet. So that we just need to, we need to help them with that. Exactly. And not judge them about what they're interested in reading. And what do you both love the most about working at the story shop? I I think the best part is just seeing people's faces light up of when you hand them a book and say, this is going to be the most amazing thing you read. Or even if it's not the most amazing thing you read, you're going to love it. Or seeing their faces light up when they see a favorite story that is now made real in front of them. I mean, as real as you can make it. Just that is one of my favorite things of just seeing the joy that people have in relation to books and the written word. And what about you, Lisa? I think for me, mine's slightly selfish based, but like there's just 
being surrounded by books. I don't know what it, what it is about it, but um, I personally, I have issues with uh, materialistic things. I have, I don't, stuff makes me anxious. I just having stuff around me or consumerism, just too much material things personally for me. But there, but there's, that doesn't happen with books because like I said, it's just something that it's a need and um, it's something that it enriches people's lives. So I don't feel guilty about it. But then the fact that we are giving Monroe, our small town, a place to come together, a place there where they can bring home, um, you know, an adventure and you really can't find that in a lot of different jobs. So this is just, I mean, it's, my, it's definitely my dream job. I'm sure it's Lauren's too, but. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm guessing your children love it too. Oh yes. <laughs> well, it's been fun chatting with you both and thank you for all the fabulous book recommendations for all ages for children. And like I said, I will make sure to put links back to the store with all of those books in the show notes. Okay, so where can people find you? Yeah, so our website is um, www.visitthestoryshop.com. And um, we can also be found on Instagram and Facebook and um, Twitter and TikTok. <laughs> yeah, our website has all the information you need to get in touch with us and also our Instagram. We're very, um, we're very active on Instagram as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. It's good to meet you. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mandy Jackson Beverly. And check out my website at MandyJacksonBeverly.com. And if you'd like to contribute to the coffee fund, go to thebookshoppodcast.buzzsprout.com, click on the little orange heart at the top right-hand corner of the page, and you can donate using PayPal. Your contributions support the editing and production costs of the show. For information regarding sponsoring an episode, email thebookshoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Theme music provided by Brian Beverly. Brian Beverly.